Welcome to episode 27 of the Rock is George podcast. I'm your host, George Dion. The Rock is George podcast is rock music, whiskey, pop culture, and nostalgia, and we're ever evolving. You can stream the Rock is George podcast from your favorite streaming app. Head over to anchor.fm slash rock is George and pick your platform. If you're a YouTube fan, you can head over to our website, rockisgeorge.com. Click on the YouTube link and enjoy from there. I have another great interview for you today. I've actually talked to this person before. If you're a heavy metal fan, you know that I contribute to MetalExpressRadio.com out of Norway. I've spoken to Steve Mann before. If you're unfamiliar with Steve Mann, he is the guitarist and keyboardist currently for the UK band Lionheart. He is also a member of Michael Shanker's live band. He was in the Macaulay Shanker group in 1987 and 1991. Probably Michael Shanker's most successful period in his career. Steve Mann worked on and off with Michael Shanker throughout the years, including up to the current day. But right now we're talking about his project Lionheart. It's sort of a super group if you're unfamiliar. It's made up of vocalist Lee Small. Lee was in the band Shy, Phenomena, and Signal Red. In fact, his album with Signal Red appeared on my top albums of 2021. Be sure to check out that special episode on Spotify. Also in the group is guitarist Dennis Stratton. Dennis started with Iron Maiden, and he's also a member of Praying Mantis. Bassist Rocky Newton was also in the Macaulay Shanker group with Steve Mann. And drummer Clive Edwards, most notably from UFO, but Clive has appeared on a lot of albums throughout the 80s, 90s, and today. Lionheart was first brought to my attention in 2020 with the release of their album Reality of Miracles. Fantastic melodic rock AOR album. It was in my top five for albums of 2020. I went back and checked out the back catalog of Lionheart back in the day when they had a different singer in 1984. I definitely recommend checking out their album Hot Tonight and head over to YouTube and check out the video for Die for Love. Die for Love is probably the best representation of 80s pop culture and nostalgia, and I laughed my way through it. Fantastic video. I actually talked to Steve Mann about it over at Metal Express Radio last year. If you want to check out that interview, head over to Metal Express Radio's YouTube page. So even though Lionheart released an album in 2020 called The Reality of Miracles, they have a release coming out in 2022. It's called Second Nature. The album originally came out in 2017, but it was only in select markets. This was when Lionheart sort of made their comeback. Steve's going to clear up what I mean about sort of made their comeback. The band was dormant for a short amount of time, came back, released an album in 2017 in Japan and Europe. It didn't really make it to the States or other countries. So with the COVID downtime, they put everything together, gave it a little sheen. And in January of 2022, they're going to re-release Second Nature with some bonus tracks. Here's Steve Mann, the guitarist of Lionheart. Well, we're talking about the re-release of the 2017 Lionheart album, Second mm -hmm. Nature. It comes out January 21st on Metalville Records. 
the little backstory on this is this was Lionheart's comeback album. If you want to talk a little bit about uh, you guys disbanded in 85 and then you came back for this particular album. Yes. Um, everybody thinks we disbanded. Um, our version of that is that we we just laid low for a while for about 30 to 31 years in total and uh and then we picked it up again when we had the opportunity in 2016 we uh, were basically offered uh, a slot on a festival in the uk near sheffield called the rockingham festival and the uh, the promoters of the festival are big lionheart fans and they had a word, they knew Rocky Newton, the bass player, and they said, um, what do you think the chances would be of getting the band back together again, just or out of retirement, as it were, um, just to do this one-off festival, this one-off show? And so Rocky spoke to us all, and we all thought, yeah, what a great idea that would be. And the intention was actually only to play that one show, and then that would be it. And... Um, Everybody in the band jumped at the chance, apart from Chad Brown, who uh, he's got his own business going and he didn't, he's not really in the music business anymore. Uh, and so we found Lee Small by recommendation. And I have to say that I'm very, very glad that uh, that happened because Lee is a remarkable singer. And um, so we got together for two days rehearsals before the, the festival and it all went very very well and we had a lot of people saying to us directly after the show and also via social media that we should think about doing an album and they went on so much that we we just felt we had no choice but to to do it uh, so that's where second nature came about now this album was originally released in 2017 in the european and japan markets mm. kind of a I can understand why it wasn't released in the States because that music had kind of died off when you guys went on hiatus and stuff like that as far as popularity. Mm. But um, whose idea was it to kind of bring it back out and reintroduce it to all markets? Well, it's funny how that one came about because we, um, I've been given a business card by um, a guy from King Records uh, called Yoshinori and uh, when MSG were playing there. And uh, so I contacted him and said, look, we're putting this album together. Would you have, have any interest in releasing it in Japan? And, and he turned out to be quite a Lionheart fan himself. And uh, so he jumped at the chance. And uh, so that's how we got the Japanese market going. And then we just kind of, you know, started playing it to a couple of people here in Europe and thought, well, it would be nice to have it out in Europe as well as Japan. And um, so we got together in the end with, we had one or two record companies who were very interested and uh, we got together with, uh, with a company called AOR Heaven in the end. And, uh, and they released it in throughout Europe um, about a year and a bit ago, a year and a half ago, uh, I suddenly realized that the album wasn't available anymore and it wasn't on social media, it wasn't on, um, on download sites or Spotify, anything like that. And it wasn't available on Amazon. And so I had a word with the record company and they said, oh, uh, the distribution came up for renewal and we didn't really think it was worth doing with only one year to go on the um, on our contract. So I said to him, look, we need the rights back. You know, we'd licensed the rights to the to the album. And uh, the, um, the the last Lionheart album um, 
we had already gone to Metalville. And uh, so we decided that with Second Nature, why don't we ask Metalville if they fancied doing a, a global release on that? And uh, again, they jumped at the chance and said, yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, so we don't really see it as a re-release of the album, but it's more an extension. So it's as well as being Europe, it's now uh, being released in the rest of the world. So it's kind of had its own kind of, you know, development, the album, and it's kind of just slowly crept out from Japan throughout Europe. And now it's uh, finally hitting the States and the rest of the world. And similar to your last album, The Reality of Miracles, which came out last year, uh, this mm. album is very heavy on melodic rock, uh, what they call AOR, adult-oriented rock, and definitely high on melodies, and definitely the guitar works there, and stuff like that. Do you want to talk a little bit about the first single you put out called 30 Years? Yes, when we were putting Second Nature together, um, we really had a blank canvas and we thought, what do we do with this? And uh, so we thought, well, we recorded some songs 30 years ago as demos that were great songs, but they never made it to the Hot, Hot Tonight album. And we thought, well, it'd be quite nice to record those properly. We had songs like Prisoner and uh, Every Boy in Town, uh, Give Me the Light. And uh, so we re-recorded those and kind of gave them the modern treatment as it were. We also wrote a few songs um, so the, the, the album was kind of very much half from the 80s and half kind of going up into the, uh, the 2000s. And um, 30 years basically came about, uh, I think Dennis had the idea for the song and um, he just thought, well, you know, it's 30 odd years, well, actually it was 40 years since he'd been with Iron Maiden. And uh, 30 years just had more of a ring to it. So um, that's kind of basically where the song came about. And he had the basic idea for the lyrics. And he said to Lee, look, can you add your magic touch to these lyrics and just kind of, you know, make them something special, uh, which Lee did. And, you know, he's there are so many double entendres in there and, you know, double meanings and uh, the way Lee's written the lyrics. It's been very, very clever, but it basically summarizes uh, Dennis's musical voyage from the Iron Maiden days right up through Prey Mantis um, up to the, uh, the the modern Lionheart days. So that's kind of very much Dennis's song. Do you have another song that's going to be released as a single before the album drops? Uh, we do, yes. Would you like to know what it is? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're the only person that knows this, okay? Um, it is uh, Angels with Dirty Faces, which is, I think, probably my personal favourite song on the album. Mine too. And, uh, not quite sure when that's coming out. I think it's probably in the new year sometime, but uh, it'll be coming out as a second single before the release of the album, which is on, I think, January 21st. Correct. Uh, also Good. on... <laughs> I'm glad I got that right. <laughs> also on this version of Second Nature, you added two bonus tracks. One is your Christmas song, Mary Did You Know, or it's more of your holiday song. You guys raised money for charity when this was first released, correct? Uh, we did indeed, that's right. We Actually, not when it was first released. It was first released, I think, in 2018. Um, and then we decided to release it on uh, white vinyl, again, through Metalville. And it was a limited edition. And we just thought, 
what a great idea this would be if we could do something for charity is a very good friend of ours called Nigel Hart, um, who does a lot of work for, for charity himself. And he has a lot to do with um, Little Haven's Children's Hospice uh, in the UK, which basically um, provides palliative care for terminally ill children. And uh, so we spoke to Nigel and he, you know, he said, if you can do something for this charity, it would be fantastic. So that's what we decided to do. And, and in the end, we, you know, we, we put our posts out on social media and said, look, you know, it would be great if you guys could support us with this. And, um, you know, every single penny that we earn from this is going to go to this charity, uh, to the hospice. And we had a fantastic result. And, you know, people went out and, and uh, bought the whole of the limited edition. Uh, and I think it's quite quite valuable now. So they've probably made quite a good, a good investment there. But uh, we raised a thousand pounds for the charity and uh, Dennis, Clive and Rocky went down there personally and handed over the check, which was which was quite a nice, a nice thing for them to do. Yeah, that's excellent. The second bonus track that you added to the album was a cover of the Beatles paperback writer. Mm -hmm. you guys big Beatles fans or is it just timed around the new documentary that everybody's talking about? (laughs) Is is the Pope Catholic, yeah. (laughs) Uh, We're all, yeah, of course, you know, we grew up in that era. And if you grew up in that era, era, then of course you're a Beatles fan. Well, I guess you were either Beatles or the Rolling Stones or the Monkees. Most (laughs) of us were were Beatles fans. Everybody now, I don't think anybody would admit to liking the Monkees and the Rolling Stones. Yeah, that's kind of, you know, more the rhythm and blues area. But I think because the Beatles were so influential on music, um, you know, of course, we're, we're fans. And um, I think Paperback Writer was something that, that Lee had wanted to do for a long time. He'd always had this kind of vision for that song of putting it to a, a kind of Led Zeppelin backbeat and making it pretty psychedelic. Uh, so that's the treatment we gave it. And uh, I wasn't sure at first. I thought, mm, not, don't know if this is going to work. But uh, once I finished the final mix, I thought, that's great. You know, that's a re- come out as a really, really good track. And it's nothing like the original version. It's a kind of completely new reworking uh, of, of a Beatles song. And it's hard with Beatles songs because they, they, the originals are so good. Uh, such a great feel on them. I think if you try and copy what they did, then you can forget it. But if you do a different interpretation, which is what we did with Paperback Writer, then I think you can uh, you can do something worthwhile. Absolutely. And I, I want to go on record saying, I'll admit that I think the monkeys are great. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, end of interview here, George, I'm afraid. <laughs> At least the machine behind them was great. Yeah, and so I, I, I have to admit, I'm a bit of a monkey's fan myself. <laughs> uh, probably one of the first bands that got me into music, actually. Yeah, well, they had some great songs, you know. I mean, I, I know they didn't always write the songs themselves, but, you know, things like um, I'm a Believer and Last Train to Clarksville, I mean, there was, it was all great stuff. Absolutely. Uh, getting back to Second Nature, I mean, you and Rocky Newton and Dennis Stratton already worked before in Lionheart, did Lee have something to prove or did he already prove it with his work behind him? Oh, that's that's a good question. Uh, we, we actually didn't know anything about Lee 
um, it was a recommendation from a friend of Rocky's, I think, who said you should try out Lee Small. Um, and we did some research, obviously, and tried to find stuff that he'd done. And I think we found some stuff online somewhere and maybe a couple of YouTube videos. Um, he'd been in a band called Shy and he's also been in a band called Phenomena. And uh, both were kind of, I think, fairly successful bands. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, in terms of um, uh, PR, I mean, I guess, you know, the, the Michael Schenker angle and the UFO angle um, and the Iron Maiden angle is kind of, that, that's kind of quite, um, quite high profile. And I suppose kind of Lee's past, although it wasn't at that level, was still kind of pretty high and he had some kind of a lot of experience and he was doing a lot of session work as well. So we were able to find, you know, a couple of bits online uh, so, that, so we could have a listen to his voice. Uh, loved what we heard and we just thought, well, let's hope he turns out to be a nice guy. <laughs> and <laughs> we didn't meet him until uh, two days before we did the festival. And, and he walked through the door, took his hat off, said, hi guys, how you doing? And we just hit it off like a house on fire. And he just came into the band and it was like he'd, he'd always been there. Uh, so I think, you know, if you believe in fate or destiny, that's one of those things that was meant to happen with Lee. Last year, you released The Reality of Miracles. Uh, it was definitely a top five album for me. Uh, you guys mm -hmm. got some great reception from that album across the board, across countries, across the world. Uh, were you surprised a little bit? Well, I think yes, because we've all been in the business so many years that you just learn almost to expect disappointment. Um, you know, unless you happen to have been lucky enough to have been in the band that's, that's been pretty successful. Uh, you know, the way things happen in the music business is, you know, nine times out of 10, if you do something really good, um, it just gets lost and people don't even know that you've done it. And I think what happened with the reality of miracles you know, we put our heart and soul into that. And, you know, I, I, I spend, take months out of my life to put these albums together. And um, so when the album actually came out, I thought, that's great that it's out. We'll do a bit of PR on social media, uh, but let's not expect too much from this. Otherwise, you know, we would just be disappointed again. And suddenly we realized it was up at number, number two or number one of the Amazon uh, new releases. Um, and it was number one of the Amazon rock charts, and uh, we were getting some fantastic reviews. I mean, they, they were kind of flooding in, and we just felt that um, with the reality of miracles, that it kind of had finally got across to people that Lionheart were working again and were coming out with some, some good stuff. Uh, so I think with that, there wasn't such a sense of disappointment, to be, <laughs> to be honest. But, I think we um, we actually thought, yeah, this is actually working out pretty well. I mean, you know, it, we weren't able to buy houses from what we earned from it. We, you know, best we could do was probably a night down the pub each. But, you know, it was it was a, a step forward from second nature and it sold more than second nature. And we we just felt, yeah, the ball is starting to roll here. And uh, and so it gives you motivation and impetus when you record the next album. Um, you know, if you feel that you're progressing with each album release. So, so actually, yes, we were, we were pleased with, um, with that album. 
with the whole pandemic and the lockdowns, were you guys ever able to tour after the release of The Reality of Miracles? No, we weren't. Um, that was pretty bad timing for us, really. And, you know, we, we'd wanted to, we'd had a few shows lined up in Spain, which had to be cancelled. And uh, we just signed with um, a new booking agency. And, you know, we were really hoping to get out there and kind of build on the reviews that we'd had for the album and um, and just kind of give the album a big push. Uh, obviously, that all went completely out of the window. But you know, it wasn't just us. Every band has had exactly the same problem. And um, for example, with Michael Schenker Fest, we were due to go to Japan in uh, March 2020. And uh, we had Simon Phillips in the band. We had uh, Ronnie Ramiro in the band, uh, plus the four standard singers. And, uh, and we were also we were rehearsed up and all ready to go. And two days before we were leaving, the whole thing had to be cancelled because of COVID. Uh, you know, so I think every band out there has been bitterly disappointed that they they can't get out and play to people because recording is one thing, but playing to a live audience really is is what it's all about. And um, so we were hit pretty hard by that. And certainly timing was very bad because uh, the reality of miracles had just come out and we really wanted to to tour it, to promote it, but we weren't able to you yourself were able to kind of get in a mini tour with Michael Shanker for his 50th anniversary. Was it kind of weird getting back out on the road in front of people after such a long time of not doing it? Well, yes, it was. It was like starting again. It, it was, you know, you, you, when you're touring every year, it becomes second nature, if you'll excuse the pun. And, uh, <laughs> You know, so you just kind of go out there and you do it. And there's always those, you know, the adrenaline pumps around, you know, you kind of look forward to it. But I think this time, before the, the first of those shows, I was feeling a bit nervous because we'd had two years off from the road or nearly two years off. And um, we'd all be sitting at home and not twiddling our thumbs, but not going out and not associating with people because of lockdowns and things like this. And then suddenly there we were going out um playing in front of an audience again um so i experienced it the same way i think that i probably experienced my first major tour going back to 1977 when i had that slight not apprehension but you know more sense of nerves than i would have done if we'd have been touring all the way through so yes it was it, it was a bit different and i think it probably ended up making the whole thing even more special uh because I think I was appreciating uh, playing live even more than I normally was because having had that time away from it, uh, I think it kind of makes you value uh, being able to play live in front of people. Absolutely. Uh, in that same vein, uh, you made a comment earlier that, you know, selling records today, you're not going to be buying houses. It might be a trip to the pub, but the same is probably true with touring, but when you started with Michael Shanker back in the late 80s, I would imagine it was a completely different story and things were things were a little bit more loftier. Yes, they were. Um, I mean, basically, is that the whole business is completely and utterly changed, as everybody knows. Um, back in the 80s, you know, we were selling CDs uh, or cassettes still back in those days. 
there was a little bit of pirating going on. You know, people would record uh, cassette to cassette. But once you'd done that two or three times, obviously the, the quality was so bad um, that it just wasn't really worth doing anymore. And I think people would, would record to cassettes um, because, you know, it's convenient for the car or whatever, but they'd still buy the CD. And uh, so when a, a record came out, if you were successful, you sold lots and lots and lots of CDs and consequently made enough money to, to make a living and sometimes a fairly good living. That's all completely changed. Unfortunately, as we all know, through the, the 1990s and the early 2000s, um, music became worthless and people expected to have music for free. And um, this has been a, a massive nail in the coffin of the music industry. And, um, you know, that, that people are not prepared to, to pay for music anymore. And, you know, this, this streaming services such as Spotify or Tidal, um, that I think basically are providing a very, very good service, but they need to rethink the way the money is distributed. From what I heard, you know, the boss of Spotify uh, is a, a multi-billionaire. And yet there are people who, who have, you know, two or three million streams who again, from that, can only afford a night out down the pub. And there's something very, very wrong there. The, the, the people who keep this industry going are the musicians. And unfortunately, it's the musicians who are being taken completely to the cleaners and, and being drained of every last drop of financial drop that they, they have. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a shame and it's a crime. And I think it's something that really, really has to change. I think the, the model is good you know, paying for streaming, and obviously there's money being earned there, but the musicians themselves have to have a much, much bigger share of, of that, that revenue. Do you think that the current resurgence in vinyl and physical media, I see cassettes as well coming back out, do you think that's going to help, or do you think that might be, it's just, just not enough to produce enough physical media for to see any change yeah i mean every bit helps and i think you know what we try to do with lionheart is to provide added value so you know we make sure there's a 24 page full color booklet with a lot of great information in there a lot of great photographs all the lyrics uh information about how the album was recorded um, our, our graphics artist, a guy called Tristan Greatrix, he's um, uh, one of the most amazing graphics guys I've, I've ever seen. Uh, we're very lucky that he's a big Lionheart fan and he's worked on um, what he calls a circle of bands, which has been included in some of the, uh, the releases. And um, it basically shows a connection between all of us and all of the bands that we've been in. And it's not a linear connection by any means it's everything is kind of connected to everything else uh, but he's found a way to to illustrate that on a kind of poster that he's he's done and so that's included in a lot of the releases um i think that will be included in this upcoming release as well of second nature um so we really try to add value to make it worthwhile buying the cd i think also because a lot of our um our fan base comes from the 80s they were used to buying CDs and they still do. Um, and they're all, you know, 
I guess, slightly older these days, aren't we all? Um, <laughs> in their, in their, you know, fifties or sixties or whatever, and you know, they've they've earned their money and they're quite happy to go out and buy the CD. So, in that sense, uh, we're probably better off than a lot of younger bands who just rely on on streaming. Um, but of course, you know, if it is a bit of a resurgence in whatever it is, you know, whether it's vinyl or um, cassettes, even, you know. Uh, then I guess that that can only be a good thing. I think anything that's physical media or that's bought as physical media has got to be a good thing. Absolutely. I, I'm one of those people that, you know, in, in my upper forties that was like, <laughs> I should probably be buying this stuff too. You know, there was a point where I leaned heavy on the streaming and then I was thinking to myself, you know, I talked to all these guys, I talked to guys like you and I'm like, I really should be buying the physical media. So I got into vinyl. I have your purple vinyl from the reality yeah. of miracles. And it's like, it, it only makes sense at my age where, you know, you're right. We have more disposable income and we can buy what yeah. we want versus a kid who's got maybe nine ninety nine a month. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I, I think it's, it's, you know, it's worth doing as I say, because, you know, vinyl, obviously the size of it, you can get a lot of information on there. CD you can get a lot of information by just you know making the booklet quite a bit thicker. <coughs> Excuse me, and um, you know so I I think if we can persuade people that they should buy the physical product, then obviously that that's a good thing, and it really really does help out the bands a lot and make sure that the bands can continue uh, to keep recording and uh, you know because obviously recording an album is not a cheap um enterprise by by any means and you know so if the band can get some revenue coming back then it does help to keep the band going and people can hear their their favorite bands for longer do you have new lionheart music coming down the pike i was waiting for this question <laughs> <laughs> yes well funny you should ask me that george um we do. Uh, we have been using our lockdown COVID time very productively, and uh, we decided to start recording the new album. Uh, you know, obviously, we, we all thought COVID was going to keep us um, locked down for maybe six months. You know, here we are nearly two years later, mm. uh, looking at another lockdown, possibly. But um, now we, we've used that, that time very wisely. I've had a lot of other work coming through my studio so i've not been able to work on the the album continuously but certainly in between times we've been putting stuff down we have all the songs together now uh lee has sung most of them we need to do the backing vocals uh a few overdubs maybe some you know symphonic orchestra here or there whatever um some trimmings but the the album is probably about three quarters of the way done so i think uh the Schenker tour is coming up in April for me. So I'm looking at getting the album finished off and delivered by uh, before I go on the Schenker tour, which will probably mean that the next album will be coming out around summer. Oh, that's great. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the other projects that you're working on? Or is that hush, hush rock and roll stuff that can't be talked about? Uh, no, it's um, I, I do a lot of mastering work uh, for okay. Escape Records, and um, I have also been working with a singer that this isn't a secret either, uh, a singer called Chris Uzi, um, yep. who's singer of Heartland, and you probably know him, and uh, and we paired up and we wrote an album together and recorded it, and that's uh, mixed and mastered, ready to go. I believe that's coming out uh, also um, sometime in the new year, kind of spring sometime. 
Um, that turned out a great album. So that's well, well worth checking out. That's probably going to be called just Man Uzi, uh, the project. Um, and uh, what else have I been working on? Um, yeah, there's a new uh, Michael Schenker album and uh, now called MSG, uh, which we've been working on. That's that's recorded from my point of view, and I think that's also been mixed. That will be coming out next year sometime. It's called Universal. Um, so that's really been keeping me, you know, keeping my keeping me busy pretty much. Excellent, and you're doing great work. Uh, the new album coming out on January 21st is second nature which is kind of new kind of old but still mm -hmm. probably new to a lot of people i i listen to the album it sounds great and uh i wish you the best of luck on its release and that's all i got for you today great well i really appreciate that george thank you very much for your good wishes and uh as always it's a great pleasure talking to you it was a pleasure being able to talk to steve mann again definitely one of my favorites especially with Lionheart and going back to the 80s and early 90s with the Macaulay Shanker Group. Check out Lionheart's latest release, Second Nature, coming out January 21st, I believe, through Metalville Records. Head over to Facebook, check out Lionheart Rocks. I want to thank Nathan Burke and Metalville Records for making this interview possible. You've been great. I've been George Dion. I'll see you again soon.